Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to The Bean for Wednesday. First with yesterday's news, I'm Glenn B. We're looking back at Tuesday. Uh, we'll have a little look at the uh, this latest business support package uh, from the government. Got some interesting lost animal stories for you. Uh, but before anything else, uh, uh, Winston did actually make it to the protest. Uh, so, you know, never got down Pike River as far as I can recall, but made it to the protest. So were they nice to you or did they give you grief for putting Jacinda into power? Well, let me tell you that I saw hundreds of people there today. In fact, there are probably thousands there. But in my time there, I would have seen a couple of... Uh, what I would call straight-out arrogant nutters, and the rest seem to be very concerned about the state that they're in, the country's in, and the state of democracy itself. Why did you decide to go there, Winston? Because at the moment they are copping grief for their behaviour. It might just be a few nutters, but it looks terrible. Do you want to be associated with that? Look, I'm associated with people who've got a right to protest, and I've been in politics when they had a protest that lasted 42 days in Parliament, and where Mallard was one of the speaker now, was one of the protesters. The fact is, protesting and the right to be heard is part of, uh, dare I say it, a thing called democracy, of which we're a proud country. But what we've got here is no parliamentarian by a pact deciding they won't talk to any protester. And that's an appalling situation. And the only thing you can forecast now is that because of that sort of arrogant behaviour, that things are going to get a whole lot worse. So do you think that Jacinda Ardern or other delegations from Cabinet, appointed by Cabinet, should go down and meet with some of these people? They should have done that weeks ago. And why have they had this position that they're going to gaslight all the protesters, character assassination, assassinate them all, have no regard to their individual and personal circumstances, and uh, argue that the podium truth knows everything? Yeah, I guess it's those straight-out arrogant nutters. Uh, Woodson mentioned there that you've got to be most careful of. Um, definitely a country divided at the moment, aren't we? And Kate Horsby just doesn't know what to do. Luxon also argued um, government's got to make rat tests available to everybody. You know, allow us to purchase them and take responsibility for our own health. And I said this yesterday too. They should have been more organised on this front. Um, they just didn't get ready, even with all that lead-up time. Thirdly, Luxon argued the government needs to say when it's going to move from emergency restrictions to a risk management approach. That would help businesses a great deal and schools. And he points out it's naive, and I'd argue convenient, for the government and its supporters to argue, you know, now's not the time for these discussions. Since when has forward planning and thinking not been value, uh, you know, and shown any value to people? Luxon points out too much of the debates characterised by fear and division this for or against us thing. And that's top down too, I reckon. The PM dismissing people and name calling or punching down, as she's accused of, sets a tone. It speaks to a them and us camp. And for someone so hellbent on a team narrative, that seems a bit hypocritical, don't you think? I just don't think it's black and white anymore. And pushing the division narrative of those who buy into her strategy, good, you know, tick, you're good people. Those who don't, you're bad. That's about the most unkind thing you can do alongside their current Trump-inspired idea of building a wall. But the tribalism on each side is so entrenched now, the same as the fear messaging promulgated by this government, it's really hard to turn that all around when you've taken such a defiant stance. You know, it shows a lack of willingness, I think, to evolve, which is why Seymour gets points on the board for at least showing a preparedness to move with the times rather than just stick a head in the sand and say, now's not the time. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, it's happening all over the world, you know. 
I sit here watching news come in from all over the world and everyone's divided everywhere. These are indeed turbulent times. Um, but I guess at least there is this um, business package to help businesses, another package, another day. Will it be much help? Here's what Kerry McIver thinks. If you're already done 50% and then you have to show a 40% drop in turnover, how do you do that? Firms must show a 40% revenue drop in seven consecutive days since the country moved to phase two of the Omicron response, compared with seven days in the six weeks immediately before the move to phase two. So strict timelines. Those that qualify will get $4,000 per business, plus $400 for each full-time employee, up to a maximum of 50 staff. Firms that meet the criteria could get a maximum payment of $24,000 each fortnight for the six for the next six weeks, which is when they expect to see the Omicron peak slowly subside. The government is also topping up the loans available under the Small Business Cash Flow Loan Scheme, and Inland Revenue is providing more flexibility on tax payments and terms. So really the question is, has the government listened to the needs of small and medium business? Is this the lifeline you desperately need as you can vaguely sense the end is nigh, that the worst of the pandemic and the response to the pandemic will be over and we get on with living with whatever variant comes next? Will this be enough to get those many, many, many businessmen and women who contacted me last Thursday? Is this going to be enough to get you through? Yeah, it's um, all this stuff's very tricky, isn't it? Because uh, I've heard reports already of you know people wanting to sort of work the system. I'm doing sort of air quotes as I say that. I'm not actually. I'm just trying to make it sound like I'm doing air quotes. I just can't be bothered doing the air quotes because you're only listening to me. You're not watching me. It doesn't matter if I do them or not. I hope it sounded like I was doing air quotes. Um, but yes, but people, you know, like, how can I make it look like I'm doing slightly worse than what I'm doing so I get the support? Um, you know, there's a bit of that going on, and geez, it's complicated. Um, look, let's let's put all this um, stuff behind us and get on to the really important story of the day, which was um, what did we have? Some kind of cow that got washed away and then was found okay even though it went over a waterfall and then somebody rang up talking about the cat that came back. So this starts off a couple of years back in South Africa um, one weekend a mate of mine decides we're going to go out to a night sub and we go to this night sub and we meet these two lovely ladies and we arrange to meet them and pick them up the following weekend so the following weekend comes around and we get to their apartment now they live in a high rise apartment so on the fifth floor we go up to the fifth floor, knock on the door, and they invite us in, and in we go. So while we're sitting there, the two ladies are still getting themselves ready for the evening, and they obviously have a cat. So the cat's wandering around inside the apartment. Now, my mate is very allergic to cats, and the cat seems to be going to him all the time. So he decides, look, I'm not going to break out in these hives. I'm just going to put the cat on the balcony, and we'll just bring it in afterwards before we leave. Yeah. So he opens the window and he pops it on the balcony. So we're sitting there. The two ladies eventually come into the lounge. They're both ready to go out. And the one lady goes to the kitchen and prepares a meal for the cat. 
walks in, you know, trying to call the cat that doesn't come up. So my mate says, look, I apologize, but I'm totally allergic to cats. I've put it on the balcony. And she looks at us, she says, I don't have a balcony. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not laughing. You're joking. <laughs> no, well, thankfully, the good part of the story is that the cat was actually perfectly fine. Is that story real, do you reckon? All right. He's told it a few times, isn't he, that guy? Is that a real story or is it just sort of open mic, practicing for an open mic night? Uh, we're going to finish up here with uh, Marcus um, talking about the very, very, perhaps the most important issue of the day, Hazard Lights. A lot of people use the Hazard Light as a friendly thank you or my bad. It's changing lanes, my bad. I know where that happens. Gillies Ave, going into the motorway. You know that street? You come down to Gillies Ave and you can't turn into the motorway? <sighs> Does my head in. Anyway, and you do the double flip, which is sort of, I'm embarrassed, and it's a bit like one down the window and doing a silly wave. But that's what people are using the hazard light for. I don't think I do that. The only time I use the hazard light, right, is when a car's following me too closely and I hit the hazard light as though I'm hitting the brakes, so they'll go back a bit. I don't even know if it actually lights up the same area as the brakes. I've never really looked at the back of the car. What does the hazard light light up at the back? I've never really studied it. That's another reason why I think it's quite important to discuss this tonight. The other thing the article meant and talked about was where the truck drivers would use their hazard light as a thank you or a let me in, and how long people have been doing it. Because it seems to be quite recent, and when I say quite recent, from the mid-80s that people have started using the hazard light as a kind of a thank you, sorry, my bad. So, so much to discuss. And also, too, if I'm hitting the hazard lights when a car's following me closely, does that look like I'm putting on the brakes? Because I think I've probably used it wrong. Because the, the, the proper reason you're supposed to use your hazard light is for when your car's a hazard. I've used it once. I was driving in from Bluffend in Vicargill, and just as I went across the section of State Highway 1, the road subsided. And I pulled over the car behind me, just almost, I mean, I'm sure it did great damage. And I had to put the car, I had to put the, Hazard lights on and stop there and use my cell phone to direct cars away from this great chasm that appeared in the road as I raced, as I waited for the law enforcement to arrive. He can't be serious. He can't really not know that it's just the two indicators going at the same time, can he? Does he think that it's activating the brake lights as well? What's happening? Uh, what annoys me is when people think that they can put the hazard lights on and then park wherever they like. That's. I mean, yes, you are a hazard when you're doing that, but it doesn't it doesn't legally exempt you from not being able to park in these places. I always find it interesting how you know the the button generally on the console is so huge and highlighted for the hazard lights, and, and yet you very rarely actually need to use it. I feel like it gets. It, too much of a pride of place. I suppose it is. It's, it's a bit like you know, it's a fire alarm, isn't it? I suppose you've got to know where it is on, on the occasion when you might need it. But I don't know. I feel like it would, you'd be better off having an emergency Bluetooth button.
you know how sometimes your Bluetooth doesn't connect? For no apparent reason. Does that happen to you? It happens to me. And, and I want a button that you can just push and go, no, no, seriously, connect the Bluetooth, please. I'm in the car now. Is it just, is it just me? I'm Green ZB. I'm paranoid now. That uh, has been News Talks with Dean. We'll see you back here again uh, with another one tomorrow.